0: Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dun Laoghaire, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night, and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
0: Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? My name is Jason Carty. My name is Stephen Cockcroft. And we're live on tape from Dublin and Belfast and Boise, Idaho, because today we are joined by Mr. Curtis Steigers. Hello, Curtis. Hello, hello. Now, February 2022 sees the release of Curtis's latest album, This Life, but he's been a professional musician for over 30 years. He is many things, a singer, a writer, an interpreter, a saxophonist, an ex-punk rocker, an established jazz man. He's toured with symphony orchestras, has written songs with Carole King, duetted with Al Green and Tom Jones. He is a man of many talents and we're delighted that he's joining us here today um, all the way from Boise, Idaho. I, 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 as is my want as an Irish person, I was obsessed with what the weather is like in Boise today, and apparently it's minus two, I was
1: uh, the Internet tells me. Yeah, it's 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 pretty cold and uh, gray here. It uh, it it's you know, we get it gets colder than that here, too. I mean, I I, I ski and, uh, you know, there, there's there's snow on the ground. Uh, but it's uh, in the summertime, it gets very hot. You know, we have we have all four seasons, which is which is nice. But uh, it is definitely not the prettiest little day right now, I tell you. OK, well,
0: we're all indoors. So that's the main thing. Thank goodness. Um, uh, so, look, you know, we love to talk about the Beatles and we love to talk to creative, interesting people about the Beatles. And the opening gambit is always, you know, when uh, when did you first notice or get exposed to the Beatles? Or is it something that had a massive impact or did it sort of drift into your life?
1: It 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 has always been there. Certainly, Uh, you know, I mean, I I I certainly heard the Beatles on the radio when I was a kid, Uh, I grew up uh, before I moved to Idaho. Uh, I was probably eight years old when I moved to Idaho, but before that I lived in Southern California and I drove around with my mother all the time. You just, you spent so much time in the, in the car in, in LA back then. And so I, I heard Beatles songs probably not knowing they were Beatles songs that when I, when I first really discovered the Beatles as a, as a band, it, it was, they, they put out, they put out some singles and maybe they even put out sort of a, I don't know if it was a collection or a greatest hits i i tried to look this up um you know knowing that i was going to be talking to you gentlemen uh but the, i bought i bought a single at the record store um when i was probably nine or ten years old i bought uh, when i saw her stand i saw her standing there and the and the flip side was helter skelter which oh. um, you know gave gave you really the gamut of what they were <laughs> yes. they were doing sort of in that uh, you know in that era uh, they're not exactly the same era but but uh, um you know to go from this sort of this nice jubbly uh, paul <laughs> paul mccartney song you know i saw her standing there to 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 Helter Skelter, which just blew my mind. You know, I mean, it really was, it was fantastic. So that was my first Beatles record. Um, later on, not too long after that, my, my buddy, my friend Doug, Doug Martell, I think his name was, uh, he got a hold, uh, got a copy of, from his sister, I'm sure, um, his older sister of, uh, um, um, it wasn't Let It Be, it was Abbey Road. Mm. And I remember sitting in his in his bedroom listening to Abbey Road for the first time, and then of course my head exploded. That's still, I suppose, because it was the first entire Beatles record I listened to. Abbey Road is still the one for me. You know, I, I love Let It Be. I love uh, you know the White Album. I love, I mean Rubber Soul um, uh, as well. I, I'm I'm a big I'm a big fan of their albums, but for some reason, to listen to sit down and listen to Abbey Road from beginning to end, it just works. It's just in it. It keeps going and it keeps coming at you and it fades out and then it comes back <laughs> and then you know and finishes up with uh, with her Majesty. So anyway, that that to make a to make a long story uh, even longer, uh, it, it's 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 always been there. Um, they keep coming back to me. They keep they keep uh, jumping into my uh, into my world, uh, whether it's uh, you know listening or or uh, 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 even recording.
0: Yeah, and I'm guessing mid sixties was when you were born so none of this is happening this is all kind of post you're like all of us exactly. in the room yeah, here no, saying did, I didn't I
1: didn't, I didn't have the the you know I didn't have the uh, the beatlemania experience I, I'm 56 now so I was born in 65 uh, so by the time I noticed the Beatles, they were they'd already they were already uh, feuding and, and uh, <laughs> making up and then feuding and then making up and feuding and making up. Um, I was also a big, a big, a big wings. I mean, I loved Paul McCartney and Wings as a kid. That was that was right in my wheelhouse, you know, oh, listening yeah. to the radio. I mean, uh, I, I just that kind of that straight ahead pop that killed me. That big
0: bicentennial year was a massive Wings year, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, they, they were everywhere, uh, yeah. you know, wings, wings across America. And, uh, um, you know, you, you, if you listen to a, a, a pop station or a classic rock station, you heard, uh, um, I mean, I just remember hearing, uh, maybe I'm amazed about 10,000 times <laughs> in, in a matter of a month, you know, and I loved it every single, especially the live version of it, you know, mm. it was just so, so bloody good.
2: It's a very different, very different experience. I think in the States, in the mid 70s to late 70s with the beatles and wings to the uk you know and in yeah. the beatles the beatles just didn't feature in the uk at all at that time and even wings uh. were a little bit kind of suspect you know they were kind of <laughs> a little a little old hat um but sure. they all, they always had that that level of exposure i think in the 70s In america you know they were always always bigger in america i think
1: than wow that's why that's wild isn't it yeah it's it's interesting i suppose um particularly i mean lennon lived in the in the states and i mean they all kind of spent a lot of time uh in the states more so and they so you sort of saw them more but they had they had all four of them had consistent big radio hits through their solo careers you know um ups and downs certainly but you know i mean if if john lennon put out a single you know everyone everyone knew you know i think i think it's the
2: classic rock thing we don't have those classic rock radio stations in the uk so you don't get yeah yeah and i
1: suppose in the uk too you were you know you were you were going through um, uh, there was there was sort of that uh, rejection, you know, the punk rock thing, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, re- the rejection of the big of the big stars and the you know the, the sort of DIY uh, thing.
2: Even though, I mean, what were the Beatles but the first cool indie band? <laughs> yeah, exa- ex- exactly. But in in America, those two things sort of exist side by side. Maybe it's just America is physically big enough to accommodate. Everything. That that is probably it we
1: don't have national stations uh, yeah. you know we we have we have regional, we have local, uh, you know, but we don't have these big national stations for for music, really. So, uh, um, yeah, there a lot of different things could happen, and and different things were happening in different places. And yeah, I mean, America isn't one country. It it, ha- it hasn't been for a long, long time. It's yeah. especially now, of course. It's just, I mean, we're 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 in trouble. <laughs> we're we're <laughs> fucked. I hope I can say that on your podcast, <laughs> but, but we are we are broke. We are broken and shattered into a lot of pieces, but uh, but but it does it does allow for for things to sort of bubble up and 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 continue to grow. And and again, I mean, I was listening to punk rock and new wave in the in the, the early 80s. That's when I got into into sort of about 80, 81. I started listening to that. And the Beatles were part of that because they were British. To us, Mm, you know, a British band right away. It was cool. It was cooler because it was British. And so I was listening to all this sort of second British invasion stuff, Elvis Costello and and uh, um, pretenders, sort of. You know, even though the, the singer wasn't British, but she certainly, she certainly—they're uh, British by proxy, over. I think. Yeah, certainly. She lived. She was. She was at all the good gigs in London in the in the late seventies. So, um, but uh, but at this, but at the same time, we, you know, the punk rock band that I cover band that I played in, we played a couple of old Beatles tunes. You know, we we played yeah. uh, Twist and Shout because it was good to dance to, and it sounded like, you know, it sounded like indie rock yeah
0: and those years from like for all of us from when you're like seven to 17 you know they're very formative in terms of how you experience music i think through the rest of your life and i think i read somewhere that one of your first records was goodbye yellow brick road
1: it was is It was right? the first record i purchased yeah is was, that right uh, yeah i i i was i the, the the neighbor kids the kids next door there were like eight eight dutton kids it was a big catholic family <laughs> next door and the Duttons, uh, you know, they 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 turned me on to. Well, I think I heard. Uh, really, I heard uh, um, what uh, Benny and the Jets on the radio on the radio, and thought, oh God, that's great. And then one of them had Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, so I took you know my allowance money or something, you know, money from my grandparents or something, and went to the record store. I was. Eight or nine years old, and bought "Goodbye Yellow Brick and devoured it, uh, memorized it. I mean, I can still probably sing the whole record. And I got into—I mean, Elton was such a hero of mine. And I think that was another reason, possibly, that that uh, that I kept—you uh, know—getting bounced back to the Beatles is that he would talk about them. You know, I, I read anything I could. You know, interviews with him, seeing interviews on TV and stuff, and he, of course, would talk about them. And uh, um, didn't he? Did he cover? He did uh,
0: "Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds." That yes. was a big hit and as well. That was
1: it? that was a big deal as well. That that sort of again brought me back around. Oh yeah, I've got to I've got to find out where that song came from. And uh, yeah, that, well, uh, so yeah, you, you've reminded me. I ended up. I mean, I ended up basically memorizing seven or eight Elton John records. There was that period from his his first his first record, even back to Empty Sky, all the way through Blue Moves. Every one of those records, I mean, I could probably I could probably <laughs> sing it note for note, word for word. It's that's how much I I became an Elton fan.
0: Blue Moves, what an album! What a great album, yeah. Blue
1: Moves is. Oh my goodness!
0: Like that's the one that kind of sits under the radar.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there were so many great songs on that. That I mean there was a tune on that record sorry we're supposed to be talking about beatles but that's uh, yeah, okay <laughs> there, there's a tune on on, on on elton john's blue moves um that uh featured uh david crosby and uh, graham nash singing a, a background vocal harmonies it's called cage the songbird um, and it wasn't on the the cassette tape version of it that i bought later i had the 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 uh, the vinyl and then I moved off to New York and you know left uh, left all my you know my vinyl because I scratched it anyway and then I so I bought this cassette and I was so disappointed that Caged the Songbird wasn't on there so I when I finally met Elton I was opening for him at at Wembley Stadium and I think I had dinner with his manager John Reed uh, at the time and I I brought that up I said why isn't that on the cassette and he looked at me like I was fucking crazy He's like, <laughs> I don't give a shit what songs are on the cassette. Don't talk to me about that. Anyway, that's my. <laughs> that's my. That, that was. That was. I was. That was an early being crestfallen by show business coldness. And
2: anyway, there we go. I went off on a tangent. No, no. So, so you, this this thing, but you're a fan, and you 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 meet these people as fans, and you ask those questions. You ask the questions that fans ask. No, absolutely. You, yeah. You know? I mean, that's the, it's such a a. a An
1: important byproduct of being, you know, a successful recording artist, the life that I've lived, I've gotten to meet so many of my heroes and. And ask them questions, and also be terrified of them, and you know, and and uh, <laughs> most of them, most of them though were very kind. I mean, Elton was was wonderful, and Bonnie Raitt, and uh, I never met Prince. I opened for Prince, but uh, in Dublin actually, I opened oh, for really? him at the uh, at the Horse Stadium. There is at
2: the RDS. Oh, the RDS, RDS. the RDS, RDS, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I was I not
0: at that gig, unfortunately. I missed oh. that for some reason. Were you oh, there, Stephen? Ish?
2: I I was not there. I only saw yeah. Prince once in 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 uh, in London, I think. Um, oh man, but, uh, no, I didn't. I was lucky enough
1: to see him a few times that year. That was the one time I opened for him and it was uh, uh, outside at the RDS and, and actually Andrew strong, uh, you know, from yep. the, oh, yeah, the commitments, was, commitments, was on the yeah. show as well. So while we were watching Andrew so- strong set uh, from sort of the side of the stage, I looked to my left and there's Prince. He's walked out onto the, onto the, uh, <laughs> the the landing outside of his trailer and um either side of him are these two massive uh, you know uh, 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 security guards or whatever his his bodyguards and he's half their size you know but he's standing up on a platform so he's taller and he's totally decked out in clothes which he never wore on stage by the way they were that was a totally separate outfit <laughs> from what he wore on stage but he was just standing there sort of looking off into the distance listening obviously but you know just in this fantastic Prince pose. And at that moment I thought, all right, I don't want to meet him. I I love, I wanted to let the mystery be as, as Iris Dement, the songwriter would say, I wanted it to just, I wanted it to, I wanted him to be Prince slash God Forever, rather than meeting him and having either be like you know awful to me or or to be like, hey, Curtis, how are you? <laughs> I wanted the, I wanted the sexy, terrifying, godlike prince to be the, the one that I knew uh, forever. So uh,
0: yeah. any story I've heard about meeting Prince just seems to be extraordinarily unusual and very hyper specific. Um, And I remember Jimmy Fallon telling a story that Prince once summoned him to a mystery club for a game of ping pong. And then they played ping pong and Prince won. And Prince was like, I bet you didn't expect that. And then he just like disappeared in a puff
1: of smoke. And that was the (laughs) only time he met Prince. Um, I've heard I've heard story. Yeah. Often I hear stories where there's some sort of competitive sport involved in meeting Prince. Like apparently um, some somebody was was beckoned to his house and. And they played basketball. They had a game yeah. and, and Prince and his band beat the hell out of them, whoever they were. I can't remember <laughs> if it was, uh, it, was uh, it was, maybe it was Eddie Murphy and his brother. I think that's who it was. And they just, they just got slaughtered. And he was just so, he was so competitive and so such a perfectionist.
2: Um, yeah. it was. I was, anyway. I was really hoping you were going to say not Eddie Murphy. You were going to say Joni Mitchell or. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Joni, Joni just could not hit the outside shot. She was. She just didn't she just didn't have game
0: <laughs> well, 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 while we're on the subject of meeting people have you met any of the beatles have they crossed your path at any point or George Martin no, or any sad- of those
1: kind of peripheral people sadly no no I never I never met george I never met any of the band I met um I believe I met um I met uh, a couple of Paul's daughters um, at, backstage at an <laughs> Eric Clapton show at Royal Albert Hall. That's as close as That's close I as closest closest that. I got was uh, um and I think it was like Stella and Mary, I believe, and they were just kids at the time. And of course, I wasn't that much older, but they just seemed so young, and they were just giggly, and and then you know now they're both you know, famous and incredibly successful, and uh, I mean they were famous then, but they were yeah. just kids. I, I like but, I
2: like when when Jason asked that question, you you paused and had to think. Have I ever met one of the Beatles? know, I once
1: I once met Bill Wyman backstage at a show. That was, you know, so I, I was thinking, well, man, no, that no other band. That was the other guys.
2: <laughs> Maybe you were in the same in the same room, or uh, yeah. I've I've
1: been. I'm trying to think if I was ever close to any of them, but uh, I don't believe
2: uh, this is a, This is a terrible question that we've kind of brought you onto this <laughs> podcast. Yet, have you ever have you ever have you ever met a Beatle? <laughs> I love. I love getting to meet people like that. It's, I'm a, I'm a
1: fan. I'm a fanboy still. So um, I, I, every now and I'll, I'll remember, oh my God, I, I did, I met Bob Geldof for five seconds. You know, I remember, you know, I I remember these things that in passing, they're just like zoom, 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 zoom. Everything is just, uh, you know, flashing around you. and, And maybe because you're so busy because I was so busy back then, you know, trying to just. Just hang on and 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 play music and 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 be good on the TV show that I was on. I'd sort of not totally appreciate or not get a chance to appreciate yeah. how exciting and, and wonderful mm-hmm. those times were. I, I've been uh, recently. Uh, my 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 first album came out thirty years ago, and um, recently on the BBC they showed. Uh, well, they're the showing very, all the top of the pops. Yeah, exactly. From the early '92, I've been watching
0: them. They're super.
1: The, the very first top of the pops that I, I appeared on uh, played, and um, and that's just I started thinking about those top of the pops experiences because I did top of the pops oh easily, half a dozen or more times, and each time it was just this surreal star fest. You know, I mean, <laughs> I I remember um, standing on the on the set waiting for Cher to show up. And she kept not showing up for her, for her, her, her song. And then the whole thing would stop and and everyone uh, back in half an hour loves and, and she was at, at her hotel still, you know, it's like, well, why did we start the show? If you knew that Cher was still at her hotel anyway, um, you know, I mean, I think on the same show, uh, public enemy was there. And that's uh, right. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. Uh, I met Kylie Minogue that day. I once annoyed the heck out of um, a Jarvis Cocker in, in the pub there. At, <laughs> uh, at you know, I, I was just I just sat down next to him and started chatting, and he looked at me like why are you talking to me?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, That was always the magic thing about Top of the Pops because, you know, I always felt Top of the Pops is, it's it's like a news program. It's not really an entertainment program. It's like, here's the news. These are the biggest selling songs this week. And so you didn't, you know, it was dependent on what was selling that week as to what you were going to get. So you could get, as you say, public enemy next to Curtis Tigers and all over the place. Seemed, yeah, I mean, I yeah. remember
1: M- Moby Grape and Genesis and uh, <laughs> wet, wet, wet. And, you know, all these be- bands that I just sort of like walked by in the hallway and said, hi. And, yeah. you know, some of them said hi back and some of them were like, yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, yeah. And they're great fun to watch. And the other thing that's interesting is when you watch them now with 30 years on is which stuff, still gets played which stuff still like i still hear your first album songs on the radio you know and and what what songs have hung around and what songs you've kind of totally forgotten
1: about in the intro yeah yeah it is it is i mean you watch those things and think oh god i totally forgot about them you know yeah emf emf where where are they (laughs) Unbelievable! You know, I mean, they were huge. I mean, unbelievable. Um, anyway, um, that that just popped into my head. A lot of strange stuff is popping into my head today, guys. You're, you're, That's you're okay. In for, you're in We're here to catch it.
2: <laughs> so, so it's kind of pop music was was the thing. You know, pop. Whenever you were a teenager, and then it became You wave. But I yeah, read, I you read, know, I grew read, up, you, you wanted to be in the clash. I read, is that right? Uh,
1: sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I played, I played drums when I was, I mean, I, I, I started on clarinet when I was about nine, uh, got a drum set the, the next year and started playing, uh, then played saxophone after that. Didn't really start singing with choirs and things until I was in high school because, a, a choir director, uh, I, I, I I applied or I, I auditioned for a choir when I was young, probably eight or nine. And she told me I, I wasn't, I wasn't a singer. I, I didn't have a good voice and I should play an instrument instead. Oh, you, dear. Know? you know, where, where's where is Miss- she
2: now? Exactly. Where's <laughs>
1: Mrs. Hull singer now is what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but so I, I played, I played drums and I, I, I played songs, you know, by, by all those bands, by, by the,
2: you know, the, the sex pistols and the, and uh, uh, the clash and the, uh, um, I I suppose it's easier to play along on drums to the Sex Pistols than on clarinet. You know, it's, uh, it, it didn't, the it's, clarinet really
1: didn't fit into that. No, for some reason. No, I don't no. know why. I mean, imagine imagine if the Pistols had had a clarinet player. How 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 nasty that clarinet player would have had to have been <laughs> just to fit in. And it's like, oh no, I'm I'm a super bad
2: clarinet player. I'm
1: evil. <laughs>
2: that, 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 you know, they'd, they'd be a huge stadium band now, probably
1: if uh, they had a. <laughs> That's what everybody needs a good clarinet player in the band. Um, And so, are you, uh, you moved to New York then in the early 80s? Is that right? Uh, That late uh, 87. I moved to August. August twenty eighth, nineteen eighty seven. I got I got to New York. I had driven cross country for four days with my friend Todd Campiano. Todd's uh, in Todd's little Honda Civic, tiny little <laughs> subcompact, and we dro- we drove across the country, um, uh, just listening to cassette tapes. And uh, he was going off to school in, in Rhode Island or finishing up school. And so he dropped me in New York. I had an apartment to live in for a couple of months and my saxophone and a bag of clothes. And that was it. And uh, I just, I just gave it a shot, you know, and I'd um, I'd been, I'd been in Boise here in Boise. I'd grown up. um, I was, I was 21 at that time. And I'd gotten to sort of the, the, the pinnacle I'd, I'd, I played in the most, Successful band in town. And I was making great money. You know, I was making Mm $400, $400 a week. And that was incredible. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, um, sometimes $500 a week. And, uh, but, but I noticed that all the guys that I played in bands with um, were not happy. They, they, these old guys who are older than I, uh, were, were disillusioned because they didn't, they weren't making records and they weren't, they, they didn't, you know, they didn't have a shot at that, whatever that thing was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized I needed to get out of town. I needed to go these days. You could probably stay in Boise and, you know, do it on, do it with, uh, YouTube and all of that. But back then you had to go somewhere and New York, I fell in love with New York. I went there once and fell in love and started saving money. And uh, I grew up. Back to your question about me being, you know, into pop. When I grew up, everything got played on the radio. You know, in, in America, all through the '70s, um, you heard you heard soul music, pop music, mm. uh, hard rock. I mean, you heard you heard. Uh, Um, Neil Young and Joni Mitchell on the same station as Gladys Knight and Stevie Wonder on the same station as Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple um, on the same station as, you know, sometimes Dolly Parton and uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Kenny Rogers or something, you know, you you heard everything on the same station. And so I fell in love with everything. I wanted to learn how to play everything. So on Monday nights, I played saxophone in a blues band. We played like, you know, B.B. King, you know, tried to cover exactly. You know, we really tried. I really tried tried to learn how to play that way. Of course, here I was playing the saxophone, trying to play play sax like B.B. King. That, That was a little odd. I still... If you hear me, if you listen to me play saxophone, I'm really trying to sound like Jimmy Page or B.B. King. I'm not I'm not really a jazz saxophone player. I really i have always just wanted to be, you know, a blues guitar player or a blues rock guitar player. Um, but then Tuesday, I went to a jam session uh, uh, for jazz. And then Wednesday through Saturday, I was playing everything from either punk rock on drums or then eventually saxophone and, and uh, background singing um, in sort of a rhythm and blues and soul and reggae and ska band, you know, so I, I love music. I love songs. I, I always wanted to learn different things. So when I went to New York in 87, I kind of had my choice of what I would do but I realized that in New York um, I couldn't go to the jam sessions for, as a jazz player. Cause again, I'm not really a jazz, a jazz saxophonist. I'm a, I'm a rhythm of blues saxophonist. So I started going to the blues clubs, which um, you know, New York isn't necessarily known for the blues, but there were a bunch of blues clubs, especially back then in the late eighties. And I would go to a jam session and play sax and everyone would be like, wow, there's a sax player here. Usually it's just a bunch of guitar players. <laughs> um, and I'd I'd, inadvertently every night I'd get asked to, to play a gig the next week and it would be for 50 bucks, you know, it wouldn't be much, but I, I could go. So I, I'd go to these jam sessions and I'd get hired. And then when I went to those gigs, we'd play for four hours and the singer would run out of songs to sing. And I would step up at the end of the show and sing a couple of BB King songs or a Stevie Ray Vaughan song I knew. And, uh, that's how I broke in at least to, you know, to, to getting into the clubs and meeting musicians and, uh, uh, I, mean, I don't even think you asked that question so you, but now, so, now you know. so,
2: so you kind of is it is it that you chose that direction or that direction kind of chose you because you, you, you know, what was everybody, was everybody back in Boise doing the same thing? Were they all kind of playing in different bands or were you the one guy who was moving from band to band and genre? I
1: I was more, I was, I was rather unique in that, you know, I, 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 I bounced from, you know, a blues band to a, you know, a pop rock ska band to a little jazz quartet because I, I had, I I was, I mean, my blessing and my curse throughout my career is, is that I can do a lot of different things and like to do a lot of different things. And so it's, it's been good for me, but it's also kind of confusing to publicists, you know, what the hell does Curtis do? You know, what, what, what is he? So, yeah, I, I was unique in that regard and um, it's taken me my whole career, you know, to, to figure out that, I, I can put all those things together, you know. I mean, I was—I've always been doing it, but I—but as a jazz musician, I always felt like, oh, you got to be pure. You got to prove that you—you know—you know your jazz. And I do. I mean, I can—I can sing standards, and you know, I can scat sing. I can do all that. Um, but I also, again, I love Elvis Costello songs and I love uh, uh, Graham Parker songs and uh, and uh, Nick Lowe songs. And mm. so what I've what I've done is I've brought those two things together, and now I make records that uh, you know have jazz versions of Nick Lowe songs
2: and uh, uh, Merle Haggard songs and uh, Willie Nelson songs. And uh- that's, a, that, 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 that's the thing that kind of fascinates me when, 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 you know, you listen to cover versions that you do where you've, you've completely deconstructed a song and then kind of put it back together again in a different way.
1: Yeah. It, it, The idea of doing karaoke never really appealed to me. The idea of covering a song and doing it exactly like they did, why? They did it, you love that record because they did it so well. Um, If you're going to do something with it, take the song, Mm. extract it from their production, from their perfect record and find your own way to do it. And what, what, what I find sometimes, you know, many times, I guess, is that there are great records that I love that if you take the song out of it, that song really won't work in another setting or in in, in as many settings as it needs to. So, um, that's what I think. You know, that's how a, a great song really works. Uh, well, for me anyway, when I listen to it, I, I have to think, could I sing that? And sometimes, you know, I find myself thinking, God, would
2: you just listen to the record and stop thinking about how you might recut this? <laughs> well, the the, the the song that kind of this is this is my seamless segue back into the Beatles is is uh, yeah. where, where, <laughs> where 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 when you did that with I Feel Fine, uh-huh, yeah. that is that is such a. I was going to say strange, but that there's a slightly sort of pejorative aspect to no, that. No, but, but it's, it not, is, it's, it's weird. It's, it's it's a weird, but it absolutely works. Where you kind of and you think it's not the same rhythm, it's not the same phrasing, it's not the same melody. Yeah. Is, is there a point where it becomes it's not the same song? Or <laughs> well, <laughs> there there is, and you have to.
1: You don't want to go past yeah, that line. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, I remember, I remember figuring out how I wanted to cut that tune. I, I had been listening. I'd been listening to the Beatles, and I'd, I'd listened I'd listened to that song. You know, it's that great feedback it's, at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm in the shower. Sorry, guys. Sorry for the visual. The, the, the I'm in the <laughs> so shower, the and I'm singing that. And then I think, I wonder... What if that? What if that swung? What if that wasn't a straight feel? What if it was? So they're right there. It's jazz. Yeah. It's more jazz. And then I thought, well, then. But what if it? What if you didn't play that as the whole line? What if you just had the bass go? And and suddenly there was this thing, and I, I immediately I got out of the shower. Sorry again for the visual um, <laughs> and I got my, my little uh, cassette recorder, which we still used back then in the, in the uh, early aughts. And I sang that do, doo oh, do, 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 baby do, to me, you know, and, and I um, sent it off to, uh, uh, Larry Goldings. Actually, I think by then maybe I was, no, was it being, I probably wouldn't have been MP3s by then. I probably sent him, I probably sent him a. I burned him a CD or something, but I sent it to him and, and he started working on that and working out those really cool chords that, that we eventually used on it. So Larry and I, um, Larry Goldings, who's a great jazz pianist and also his day gig is, uh, is playing, uh, um, keyboards for James Taylor. Actually, one time, one time quick, uh, (laughs) I was I went to see uh, Larry uh, play keyboards with James Taylor at uh, the Hammersmith Odeon or Apollo, whichever it was at the time in London. And he was supposed to come out and and or we were supposed to go back or he was supposed to come out and see us after the show. And um, he didn't show up and he didn't show up. And it turned out he never showed up. Um, He sent somebody out eventually said, Larry's Larry's not. Paul McCartney had come backstage and he was hanging out with Paul McCartney and James. Oh, and there so you go. There so I close. could have met a Beatle. <laughs> <I> could have <laughs> met a Beatle. <laughs> oh, anyway, um, that's, that's a, a total aside. But uh, so I, I sent that to him and we created this whole different thing out of that song. But that song is so great. If you can take that song apart and put it back together in a lot of different ways. And it's got what I what I often look for in songs to cover um, is the structure of a a b a and what that okay. means is verse verse bridge verse as opposed to a verse and a big chorus and a verse and a big chorus and then maybe a little middle eight that particular song it's um, um, it, 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 and usually a lot of those kind of songs either start Uh, in the the verse either starts with the title or it ends with the title. And in this case, it ends Baby's good to me. You know, she said, so I'm in love with her and I feel fine. So you you do that once you do that again. There's another verse. And then you go to the bridge. I'm so glad she's my little girl. And then you go back at the very end. There's a, there's a third verse. That's just like a Gershwin tune. That's Mm. just like, yeah, um, a, 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 an Irving Berlin song. That's how Cole Porter would have done that Br- verse, verse, bridge, verse. They came from that old Tin Pan Alley place, uh, Paul and John. You know, when they were learning to write, they were singing those songs, you know, those kind of songs, rocking them up. Sometimes they learned how to write songs like that. Eventually, then they just totally, you know, they totally rewrote the, the, the rule book.
2: That, that's what I was kind of going to ask you about, about sort of construction of those songs. Because, I mean, the, the, the and I was looking at them sort of listening to sort of jazz interpretations of Beatles songs. And the very first, the, the earliest one that I could find was uh, Ella Fitzgerald does Can't Buy Me Love. Oh, wow. I, I don't know if you know that, but she, she recorded that in April, 1964, when the single, the Beatles version was still in the charts. Wow. So she, and that's that's the quickest kind of turnaround that I can <laughs> I, I can find. But it's the same thing. It starts with the title. It started It goes straight into "Can't Buy Me Love," and and yeah. uh, so I mean, is, is there something in that in their songwriting that you, as a sort of coming from a jazz background or having those kind of jazz sensibilities, you can you can see that the basic building blocks are in there that you can take apart in, in,
1: in, 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 in a lot of their songs. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm trying to like come up with the one that, I mean, you probably, um, I mean, even you could probably even do, I am the walrus, you know, You (laughs) you could probably do it because it does, it does have the shape. Actually I have sung. I am the walrus with an orchestra, um, kind of jazzy, very, it was more, it was more rock, but we'll, we'll get onto that. But, um, yeah, they, Again, uh, particularly Lennon McCartney, but but I mean George as well. I mean, so, I mean something. How many times has that been
2: covered beautifully? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a great um, George George Benson cover of that. That you, uh, yes yes share, yeah
1: and and um, Sinatra sang that yeah. song. I mean, it was a there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of a Sinatra swagger in there. Maybe a little too much. I think he said
2: I can't remember what he added a, a word or a line yeah, that um, uh, was uh, like I don't know Jack. He he Jack, the word yeah, Jack. He says, he <laughs>
1: You could have you probably could have left the jack out, Frank. I mean, I'm a, I'm a massive Sinatra fan, but there was that that kind of he 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 and Ella Fitzgerald and so many other singers were just trying to um hang on to their relevance, you know. They and and um you know in the 60s, um jazz singers jazz musicians were not nearly as relevant as they were in the 50s and the 40s. Um and so they were looking for. Pop songs to cover. Mm. Now they'd always been doing that. That's the thing. Uh, j- jazz musicians always took pop songs and turned them into jazz tunes. I mean, uh, those songs weren't uh, you know, weren't jazz tunes to begin with. They were pop songs. They were on the radio, or they were in a, in a Broadway musical, or they were both. Uh, and uh, so, in 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 the case of what they were doing, and in the case of what I have been doing for the last twenty years of my career, uh, it, it's about taking pop songs. Pulling them apart, putting them back together, and uh, um, I I can see with "Can't Buy Me Love" because it's it it swung. It had a "Can't Buy Me." It was a shuffle. It was it actually swung to begin with. Ringo swings. Ringo. Ringo Ringo swings. Ringo Ringo swings. Great drummer, such Mm. a swinging drummer, even on the straight. Uh, feels you know when he's playing there's there's this there's a little bit of a skip to it you know Ringo Ringo's a a fabulous drummer I mean a really cool unusual the the people that say oh Ringo you know terrible they're idiots I mean they're not just (laughs) they're not just kind of misguided they're just they don't they don't have have the slightest clue what they're talking about but even even like I feel fine
0: he's he's and I feel fine he picks out from that riff this kind of samba feel and off he goes on his on his cymbals that kind of latin groove <laughs> no, yeah. very oh, no. melodic he was, and swinging he was smart. so
1: cool and he played he he played like an old school drummer and then he did really weird things i was just listening to i was listening to let it be the album let it be because of the the the, the tv show you know the the documentary that's been out which i still haven't seen but oh I my god i know <laughs> it's ridiculous i should I, I meant to watch it before we talked so i would but i i read I read so much about it. And my daughter, Ruby, who's 21, she'll be 22 next month. Um, she watched it and she was obsessed, which is so great. I mean, this is, I, 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 I did two really good things uh, as far as being a dad. One is I taught my daughter how to ski really well. So I have a ski buddy for the rest of my life. And the other thing is she knew the names of the Beatles when she was four or five, I was like, all right, this is one thing we're going to learn. Okay, <laughs> that's John. Okay. Right there. Um, and so she, she loved, she loved it. And we were talking about Let It Be and there was, what song was it that, oh, I can't even remember where I was going with this, but it was, um, oh, it was, it was the drum part on Let It Be, actually. And he plays this weird thing. And I never noticed it before um, uh, until this last time. I I mean, the things that Ringo chose to do, or maybe that you know, I mean, as I've heard from this this movie, this uh, documentary, that that Paul made him do. Um, (laughs) But he was smart enough to say, "Oh yeah, yeah, okay, I see what you're saying." And 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 he would play it in his own way. Um, I really I love Ringo's playing. Anyway, I went I went off on a tangent there, but uh, he he was and still is a swinging musician. I mean, and mm. I suppose that comes from him having grown up. He probably played in some dance bands that had to play some big band material. Or he was whatever. doing. He
0: was trying to get people dancing in the holiday camps. You know, he was trying to get. Boots shuffling on the floor. So he, he, he did whatever yeah. it took, you know. But when you do get down around to watch and get back repeatedly, you know, they're f- floating around trying to get something and Ringo just locks into the groove and just fills. He always fills in space the way you don't expect him to fill in space, you know, and his fills are different all the time. Yes. Um, drummers yeah, no. are the best people. I've said that before on this podcast.
1: Drummer- drummers are the best people.
2: <laughs> but of course, I like R- R- Ringo, Ringo's first solo album was that was standards? Were oh, some yeah. big bands? i did uh, i don't i don't know that record at all yeah I'll... there's a, there's so 19 1970 he released an album called sentimental journey which is just wow. stardust and uh bye bye blackbird and things like that that all and he's sing. he's singing all of them? and he's singing all of them and these big oh. and you think who <laughs> who was doing that in 1970 you know now everybody does that rod stewart sure. you know you've got great american songbook and stuff like that but ringo kind well, of well, the was only there. person
1: i can think of and he had a, a great uh uh beatles connection was Nilsson, you know I mean, Nilsson yeah. did oh, that yeah. yeah yeah but i would say i'm pretty sure it was after it was
2: after was the
0: touch of smilson album was about two or three years after yeah. the ringo album yeah
2: so you should you should know he's not the best singer in the world but but it's a really interesting listenable album so I, yeah I recommend ringo, that
1: i mean you don't have to have a great voice to be a, a good singer uh you have to you have to be able to tell a story and yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I remember loving Ringo's solo stuff. I mean, I knew every word to uh, uh
2: um no 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 okay I, <laughs> I don't smoke it no more. That is Jason's favorite. No, sorry, least favorite.
1: That song winds me up no no end. <laughs> for the for the uh you know the eleven-year-old yeah.
2: uh kid, yes.
1: like, what is he smoking, mom? <laughs> Yeah, good old Ringo. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. It, it it takes
0: a very sort of special ear, I guess, to to plug into some of the, the jazz and the rhythmic things that, that you pick up on yourself. I don't know if you've ever come across any of the, like Paul has put out these kind of standard albums as well, Kisses on the Bottom and he's using orchestras and playing with Diana Kral and
1: all the rest. I don't know if have I've, you heard I've certainly, those? I've certainly heard it. I mean, again, I mean, with Paul, it's just, he is one of the greatest voices in, in recorded music, you know, in the history of recorded music. So the guy could sing the phone book and, uh, you know, and, you know, occasionally has, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not all of Paul's songs have been, you know, super deep, but mm. for some reason it's, they're all still just like, Oh, my heart. And then you're like, but what he singing about? What is he singing about? He's just singing about this little trifle, but it's just, my God, you know, that voice and those melodies and, uh, uh yeah. Anyway, yeah. um, I, the, I, I, um, I tend to like the stuff that isn't people like, like Paul, uh, you know, singing standards. I tend to, I'd much rather hear Paul, um, go somewhere else than that yeah. but yeah. but he you know everyone does and uh i mean i'm sure there are people that lots of people that say why did why did curtis why does he make these fucking jazz records you know <laughs> i wish he'd make it i wish <laughs> well, he making the thing is i think the thing is
0: you've you've also mentioned elvis costello there i think the thing is to just make lots of records just just yes. do lots of things because yeah. yeah. i'm a big do, elvis so costello whatever you myself. want to do
1: yeah. yeah. What, what, say that again.
0: I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm a big Elvis Costello fan myself. I, I love oh, yeah. Elvis and Nick Lowe and all that. Like when I was 14, I went to I got brought to an Elvis Costello gig and Nick Lowe came out and I didn't know who he was and it kind of blew my uh, mind. So oh. that was great. But like the thing I love about Costello is, you know, he's got his his jazz album North, which is an album I like a lot. And then, you know, oh, here's a rock album and here's a bluegrass album. And it just if you don't like it, just wait 12 months. You know, another yes. one comes out. It, it doesn't matter. It's it's yeah, all Elvis part is- of the
1: same lovely soup. Elvis's career is one that I, I, I look to uh, as, as an example of, I mean, what he's done as an artist is, is what I wish I could do or, can, you know, I mean, I, what I at least aspire to. Another guy that is like that, the, a lot of people have never heard of, and it's probably way out in left field to bring him up, but there's a guy called Bill Frizzell, who's a jazz guitarist. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill does the same thing every year. He just put, or every, you know, God, every nine months, practically, he puts out another record. And it's like a different band, a different genre, a different, you know, and it's like, it's it's country and it's folk and it's jazz. And and Elvis is the same way. He loves music. He loves mm-hmm. great he songs. Does. He loves, he loves playing with a lot of different musicians. So, you know, he plays with the, with, with the string quartet and then he plays, you know, a jazz record and then he makes you know this latest, this latest impostors record sounds like, uh, oh, sounds like the attractions, I, man. What a it's, great! Record. It's amazing. Have you heard it? Oh God, yeah, It's fantastic.
0: I I, I think because I I I I listen to all his records when they come out, and some of them land, and some of them don't land, but it doesn't matter. I think this new record is probably his best thing in about twenty five years. It's extraordinary songs on it, such melody really? and such playing, and it's oh, it's fantastic.
1: It's really great. And have you heard, um, what is it? Um, is it the Spanish
0: model? Yes, I have which was something I was not expecting to enjoy. And it's sensational. It's really smart.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 that was the only thing that I listened to for about two weeks. When I found (laughs) out about it, I was just, I just kept, you know, I have, I have these, you know, these Alexa things, you know, these little speakers and I just, I'm just go Alexa. But you know, I just wanted to hear um, uh, the, the um, was it this year's girl? Um, it was just this year's model, yeah. So you know, with in Spanish, how what a brilliant idea! And it just rocks. And it's uh, anyway, yeah, I love Elvis. He's the best. Um, I uh, I've gotten to meet him a couple of times, uh, and he's just been lovely, really kind. Uh, I recorded a a, a song. He did Baby plays around. One. I did. Baby plays around. Yeah. Mm. When we first met, he one of the first things he said was. Thank you for recording my wife's song, or my ex wifes song, or, you oh, know, yes, which I thought true. was, I thought was kind of, you know, rather uh, generous of him to say that it was, it was cat. You say cat? How do you say her? her how would you I say? I pronounced Reardon. Coach. Coach. yeah yeah Ooh, i, 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 I just i just found that out that it was coach <laughs> i i thought i was really cool because i called her cat and everyone else called her kate and I realized none of us were <laughs> right but uh but the, you know the fact that he sort of gave, gives her credit for for that song and obviously there's a there's elvis costello all over it and i learned it from 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 an elvis costello record but uh um anyway we we went off on another tangent didn't we
0: <laughs> that's uh, we're we're all about the we're tangents. All about tangents. Um
1: absolutely
0: fine. which tangent should we go to next, Stephen? <laughs>
2: um, where should we go to next? Well with the 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 other song uh, going back to what you were saying about Paul and pop music and that, I, I maybe it's a prejudice on my part, but I would have assumed Curtis Stiger is is going to record the big ballads, a big Paul McCartney ballad or, but actually the song that you, the ballad that you went with was Lennon's love.
1: Love. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everyone else, everyone else already did. um, um, uh, Michelle, you know, everyone, everyone already did uh, something, which, you know, of course is a George tune. Um, I, I kind of, I want to find the ones that, that haven't been done. And to be honest, um, I didn't know love uh, before I recorded it, I didn't know that song. I was in the studio with this fabulous band of, of young jazz musicians. Well, they're not young anymore. They're my age, <laughs> but, but, you know, th- <laughs> 25 years ago or 20 years ago, they were, they were, you know, like these cool firebrand, uh, um, jazz musicians in New York city, changing the rules, Matt Wilson on drums and, uh, Larry Goldings on piano and, uh, uh, John Snyder on trumpet and a bass player called Ben Allison and Ben Allison is especially known as a jazz composer. He's uh, he's very highly regarded. And we were just kicking around some ideas of, well, what if we covered this song? And that was the album um, that I, I, I recorded, I feel fine for. And also it's named after a, a, a Nick Lowe song. I re- I recorded for it uh, called you inspire me. Um, and out of, out of the blue, um, we had just played a a, a Dylan tune. I just, I came up with, I said, let's play um, um, don't think twice. It's all right. And, you know, with a jazz group, that's a weird thing to play. And so Mm. we just played through that. And I said, God, I just want, I just want one more tune that fits this record. And Ben said, what about love by John Lennon? I was like, well, how do I not know a John Lennon song? But I don't really know that first solo record by Lennon, although I didn't know that album um, all that well. That was, that was, wasn't that. Uh, um, Plastic Ono Band. Plastic Ono yeah. Band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he said, oh yeah, check this out. And so he, he downloaded it or whatever and played it. And it, it had, um, it had the right bones, you know, um, it, it, verse, verse, bridge. Yes, reverse. it does that again. Yeah. yeah Even yeah. though it's such a weird song. I mean, it really, the, the lyric of it love is real love is he just said it, it it almost doesn't make sense except it does it's just like this beautiful poem um that doesn't really have a beginning or an end it just kind of yeah
2: it's and it's sort of it's it sort of fades in and fades out and and uh-huh. it,
1: it, there's a lightness to it that, that and we do it with with you know quite a bit of rhythm i mean the drummer yeah. Um, matt wilson came up with such a and and larry's piano bar did it do that was nothing like dylan i mean like uh, uh lennon's version his his version was just that weird kind of underwater piano i mean the, how mm. it was i don't know what they treated it with but or it was maybe it was maybe it was a a a, 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 a melotron or something maybe it wasn't even a real piano but it sounds so odd it's like it's like, uh, imagine only, you know, like two, four under four feet of water or something. It says, and it fades in, right? It comes yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. Such a gorgeous thing. And I I mean, it was to, to hear that song for the first time in a New York City's records, uh, recording studio with all these jazz musicians was so incongruous to how I usually hear things and how I usually prepare for albums. Usually I, you know, I know exactly what I'm going to do and we've got arrangements all laid out, but that one just, it grew out of, how great that song is and how beautiful and and sweet that song is. And uh, it actually makes me, you know, you reminding me of it, I haven't played that song in, in a few years. You know, we, I've got so many damn songs to play and I've got 13 or 14 albums worth of material. And then all the other songs we just sort of throw in that, um, I need to start playing that song again. That's it. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder. We've altered the set list. That's uh... <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah. You have, you've done, your, you've done your job. <laughs>
0: There's after love, isn't it, that you get involved with uh, the, is it the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra? There's
1: a, yeah, uh, uh, the John Lennon songbook. What, 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 tell us about that. Well, I was, um, I was managed at the time uh, by a, a, a manager, a friend of mine, Tom Croxon, who um, also managed the John Wilson, or John Wilson, um, who is this uh, great arranger and composer and conductor, uh, British. He's actually uh, from, uh, um, he's, he's from... Uh, um, Oh God. Uh he he, he <laughs> I just lost my mind. Well we'll go back to that. Sorry. He's on the Time. What's what's the Newcastle? Coles um, in Newcastle. There we go. You take Coles to Newcastle to Kohl's. Um okay. So he he's a, um he he's from there. And uh, anyway, he's fantastic. I'd done some stuff with him, and he was uh hired by the Liverpool Philharmonic to uh to do an evening of John Lennon songs uh, and to use the the idea was it's mark mcgann who's an actor best known yeah. as he, from the, the McGann brothers you know his uh, was it his brother is paul and anyway oh, mark's a great mark's a great actor um and and a really good singer um and so he was involved and then um um my friend uh, claire martin who's a great british jazz singer you know sort of a, one, one of one of the best british jazz singers ever she's fantastic and so the three of us were hired to be involved in this, and I, I was there because of of, of John, knowing John Wilson and being connected to him through the manager. And each of us sang, uh, oh, I think I sang eight or nine tunes, and and uh, same with Claire and same with Mark. And Mark portrayed Lennon as, as the actor that he is. And all he would do is basically throw on a pair of glasses when he was, when he was being, or that was it. He just kind of had the glasses and he, he looks a little bit like John and he did a very, I mean, he's, he's a scouser. And so uh, he, 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 he has that accent down. And so he would sort of read these monologues that came from quotes um, of John's and they were gorgeous. I mean, there were some, there were some beautiful, beautiful things. Uh, and it was basically the life, you know, Lennon's life story through his songs and with some, with, with some quotes of his. And, uh, it really was lovely. We did it several times at the, at the Philharmonic Hall there in Liverpool. And then we toured Well, we went to, we did four or five dates in, in, in China and we were in, uh, we were, uh, in Shanghai and, uh, Anyway, we we went to China with this thing, which was amazing Hmm. to go to China and sing John Lennon songs um, as somebody who's never been to China and doesn't mean a thing to the Chinese fan base. I mean, I don't I don't have (laughs) I don't. But but to have them just go insane when when I sang girl, you know, oh girl, (laughs) Um, and they were nuts. They loved it. We did. I mean. Uh, Mark and I sang a duet of uh, of Julia, which was oh, to sing that song, and it's with this, you know, one of the greatest orchestras in Europe, or you know, in in, uh, um, in, in well, in the world. I mean, the Royal Phil- uh, Liverpool Philharmonic—they are fantastic—and singing these brand new arrangements um, uh, of Lennon tunes, and they were, you know, some were Beatles, some were some were the solo things, and that's where I fell in love with Jealous Guy. Um, oh, I had yeah. known. I'd known Jealous Guy, but it wasn't one that I sort of, um, I didn't, I didn't really, uh, the the version that I knew um, was. um, The Roxy music one. No, Mm -hmm. no, there was another one Um, live at the bitter end. It's um, the soul singer. Um, Oh God, I'm blowing it. I can't believe should have had more coffee today. Um, (laughs) um, It's right on the tip of my tongue. Hathaway, Hathaway. Donny Hathaway sings an incredible version of jealous guy live at the bitter end, which is this tiny club in New York that a lot of people made records at. And I played there when I you know, when I was first getting started in New York and it's just this soul version. I was dreaming of the past. I mean, it was just killed me. So I knew it from that. And then there was this new arrangement. I got to sing for this and I fell in love with the song, the net, my next record, I recorded "Jealous Guy," and that's one of my favorite tracks um, of, of from my jazz records. My version of "Jealous Guy," because I I told the band to play it like straight out gutsy. 19 early 1960s jazz i wanted it to be you know the, the miles davis quartet with herbie hancock and tony williams and and uh i mean i and and they did they just played it like like it was a john coltrane record and then i just sang this perfect john lennon song over the top of it as a sort of a pop soul singer i mean as a jazz singer but really i was i wanted to just float over the top of it while they just churned underneath me and uh, it's a great song i mean and and it was used really well in that show in that they used it uh uh to to illustrate the john and yoko's year or so apart when john went to have his lost weekend in la and stayed for a year um uh she she said go go off you're you know you're, you're driving me crazy and and he tells the story of how they had this fight at a, at a party and, and she, um, and, and then I sang that song uh, and, and it really, I mean, it was really moving. It was just like, Oh, you know, to, to, to be kind of part of John and Yoko's life while singing that song. Every time I sing it, I think of, Of them and the heartbreak they must have been going through, and then of course the year-long drunk and fun that he must have had with with and (laughs) with Nilson running around with Nilson and and uh, uh, a handful of of
2: geniuses running around. Well, Keith Moon and you know you might think John Lennon, Keith Moon, and Harry Nilsson. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean they would have been fun. They they, (laughs) stayed for for five minutes. You know. They say
1: that if if if, Nilsen, if Harry Nilsson called you to, to go have a drink, you should expect to be gone for three days. And that yeah. was the deal. <laughs> that was the deal with him. Was the, and I so and Lennon was ready for that. He wanted to be gone for for three days.
2: What, one of the things that I read about that and uh, uh, about that tour is Mark McGann talking about the kind of ins. I, I suppose Mark McGahn has really played Lennon for thirty years. You know, he off and on he's kind of, but uh, he he said the kind of the tour and it gave him an insight. The music gave gave him an insight into the man, and I yeah. wondered: is that something you were saying about you know Yoki, his relationship with Yoko and that that song? Is that something, or is that too kind of much psychology? No, no, that- no, it,
1: it does, it does, and it, it certainly helped to have that show. The show was so well written. Yeah. I learned so much about Lennon and about you know how how he and Yoko met and how how he felt about the Beatles and uh, and and. um And, and how we felt about leaving music, you know, in the seventies and getting away and just baking bread for, for a few years, you know, I mean, there was, there was something so lovely about all of that. Um, But this, yeah, the songs also, you know, growing up, I didn't know which were Lennon songs and which were McCartney songs. You didn't have the internet back then. You couldn't just go, oh yeah, that was a, it was a, they were Lennon and McCartney songs but clearly there are Lennon songs. There are, there are McCartney songs. And, um, and when I was even younger, I didn't even, I mean, sometimes I thought, well, that's, that screaming, you know, the screaming rock and roll that must be Lennon when it was Mm -hmm. in fact, McCartney, because McCartney, when McCartney put on his little Richard hat, man, I mean, no one could rock as hard as, as McCartney as a singer, but, uh, um, but now knowing who wrote which song and, and also hearing the voices come in and out, you know, Oh yeah, there's, I love that. It, 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 it really illustrates, um, you know, knowing who wrote the song, what was going on in their life or, or what, you know, and you can almost, What well, I also like uh, listening to a Beatles song and thinking, I wonder if Paul, pissed him off when you know when, when <laughs> he made any comments you know like a, the bridge i wonder how much paul said no well you should put a little bit of this on that like that you know she <laughs> put a little <laughs> put, put a little in the bridge and i you know i i would love and again you guys have seen this yeah, i was show gonna say you have you're, to watch you're, get you're, back if you want yeah. to see that happen over and over again <laughs> <laughs> just just
2: you're gonna love get back yeah uh,
1: well how, however i the, the, you know and again i'm 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 saying this before i see it but it couldn't have been easy to make, to try to write a record with cameras on, on, no. them. that, that changes everything to have yeah. people watching you do your thing. When you're in a room with it, when John and Paul are in a room, writing a song, even if George and Ringo are there, it's a, it's, it's one thing then to have, Cameras and you know a uh, Hari Krishna and Yoko and yeah. and um, who's the 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 uh, the guy with three names who's trying to get him to Michael, play and, Michael uh,
2: Lindsey Hogg. Michael
1: Lindsey Hogg, <laughs> who you know on Twitter uh, apparently you know, it was said many times he's the he's the villain of that movie
2: <laughs> he, he, I, I feel sorry for Michael Lindsey Hogg because he's he obviously. He was there all the time. He never intended to be on camera. No. This this is really a documentary about making a documentary. So he's always there and he just doesn't come across. He's always wanting them to go to Tunisia. You know, uh, yes, that was that's what I've heard. Yeah, it's like
0: you'll love it. It's, you'll, you'll figure out how are these the most successful band in the world and they don't know what they're doing in 24 hours time. It's it's extraordinary right. how that kind of pans out. And there is there is actually a term in science called the Hawthorne effect, which is when people are being observed, they act in a different way and they kind of up the ante to how they should actually do things. And, you know, you watch this and you realise they've been filmed for years and years and years, but there's still this odd layer going on it's great we won't no spoilers we won't tell you how it ends i mean
1: honestly i've read i've read so much about it and the only reason i haven't gotten around to it is because my wife and i have been obsessed with um with british crime uh uh uh, series so we we (laughs) we finished we finished line of duty went into criminal uk now we're on broad church and it's just like we've got to break away and take three nights to watch this <laughs> this movie but there this documentary but uh, well once there's, once,
2: there's... once you watch it you can come back on and talk to us about uh, all the things that you... <laughs> good yeah this is
1: good i'd love to i think uh, i'll
2: have i'll have a
1: whole thesis written about uh it's, about it's that movie. yeah
2: yeah but i saw i saw one of your your sort of kitchen because this is something you've been doing for what sort of for a year oh, or songs ten, from ten, my kitchen. Ten, songs yeah, I from started, kitchen i
1: started i started it um Gosh. Yeah. I mean, it feels like it's not been that long, but I didn't start it at the beginning of the pandemic because I was afraid of the technology. I didn't, yeah. Yeah. I just saw so many bad live stream things where you couldn't <laughs> hear and they look terrible. And I've
2: seen some of what we do then.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, now people know people have gotten it together. You know, we, we, we know how to do it now. Um, and I got a, I found a really good producer in Minneapolis to, to basically help me uh, put together a good show. I started on Patreon. Do you, You guys know, yeah, Yeah, yeah. I started there and I was making all these cool videos of myself singing and videos of my dogs. And they were, I was really proud of this stuff and like a hundred people were seeing it. And and I just thought, well, fuck this. I want everyone to see what I'm doing just do it for free so i so i've been doing songs from my kitchen which is just me and my kitchen playing my songs my dogs are there sometimes they bark sometimes they're good um they do they do little tricks there's there's they're starting to bark right now actually could, but I, could I, I,
2: I saw one recently and it must i think you mentioned that your daughter had watched get back and that you've been in the studio yes. with her and you were working up a version of let it be and, yeah, and, and, I, and then you you kind of turn around and picked up an acoustic guitar and i thought he's gonna he's gonna play let it be on an acoustic don't guitar do don't do it don't, don't do it don't do it but it was it was great and i I think that's a, that 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 such a difficult song to put across with an acoustic guitar, but it was great. It was. Uh, it was Thank it was you.
1: Good. It's 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 an amazing song. I mean, it's just perfect. I mean, that's what I've heard about the about the uh, the that, that McCartney really shines in this documentary. Mm-hmm. Just his his ability to just sit down and you're all like. No, go. No, the bridge is here, Paul. He's like, yes, he's making it up right now. There's a brilliant bit where he's making up. Don't,
2: don't, don't spoil this stuff. (laughs) Don't don't spoil.
0: But he's he's riding the long and winding road, and their road, their their roadie Mal is beside them, and he sings the first verse. And he goes, and that now time for the second verse. And he kind of looks off into the distance and he goes, the weather obstacle. And he starts singing the long and windy night. And he's and he's sort of saying, you know, OK, I've written the first verse about the long winding road. And here's the weather obstacle. And oh, you never thought amazing. about the song that way before, but you're like, he's thinking of it like a proper scriptwriter. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Oh. Um, you, you must be looking forward to getting back on tour because you're about to head off
1: very soon, aren't you? I, I am. I I I got out a bit last year. Finally, I started I started playing dates again in July, um, you know, when the when the when the pandemic in big air quotes <laughs> ended, ended. Yes. Uh, wasn't it supposed to end? Wasn't it done? And but it's not. And it, clearly it's not. But uh, so I was out a bit. But but now I've got this new record coming out February 25th. And I'll be in London that week uh, at Ronnie Scott's. I'm, I'm there for four nights, the 24th through the 27th. Playing there, and then um, and then I'm back over uh, playing uh, around the UK for almost a month, uh, middle of March through the middle of April, and then in the summer I'm back. You know, I'm I'm trying to get actually I need I need gigs in Ireland. So anyone who uh, wants to book me in Ireland, I'll play. That's fine. I I should actually I should get. Yeah, because I mean, the last the last couple of times I've played uh, um, in Dublin, uh, I played the the National Concert Hall um, oh, yeah. and with with different, you know, with my band, with with or with an orchestra, with a big band, a couple of different shows. Um, but uh, that's a little big for me. Uh, I need just a, a touch smaller place. So I need to get some some good v- input Strait, from Vicker Street in Dublin. Vicker v- Street's a Vicker good Strait. venue. It's a good venue. Street. Yeah. Y-
0: you're actually the first person I've ever spoken to who has played Shea Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, which nice, since, right? since it's a Beatles podcast. I feel that has to be mentioned. Yes.
1: Uh, you... I, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. I, that was amazing. I mean, <laughs> that was night 1992 summer of 92 opened for, I had just been in London opening for Elton John, Eric Clapton and Bonnie Raitt at Wembley stadium. Mm. And when I was there, they asked me to come over and uh, open for them at Shea stadium and Dodger stadium in LA. So, I mean, to be to be at Shea Stadium, I mean, with, with with the history, with the Beatles, with I mean, I, I knew about the Shea Stadium concert before I really knew who the Beatles were. You know, I mean, yeah, it, it was just yeah. like that was a, such a thing. There's ah, the screaming and the and so to be there on that, you know, on that field was 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 ridiculous. And that's where um, that's where uh, I. It was decided that I, rec- I would record "What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding" for oh, the nice. Bodyguard soundtrack. I, I played that song in my set uh, because it was it was a, a, an up tempo raver, and I could finish with it at the end of my show. And uh, the president of the record company said, "Ah, that's the song that should be in the movie." Anyway, it's uh, that was a big. <laughs> But yeah, to be there, um, not only were, was I thinking about the Beatles, but my, my and my manager and I, my manager Winston at the time, uh, my manager, um, he and I stood on the on the top step of the dugout of the uh, of the visitors. Uh, uh, dug out for the baseball and, and just and s- s- spat. We, we did, we did some good skinning. <laughs> like we were chewing tobacco, like, like baseball players. Um, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. That's I have a, so I almost met a beetle. I played at Chase stadium. <laughs> That'll do You can put, take that off the bingo list. You know, play Shea, stadium.
2: Shea stadium, not a small room. No, it was not small,
1: but uh, God, it was great. It really, that's, that's one of my, my favorite memories. You know, when we played at Dodger stadium the next weekend, not so good, not, not really a very good audience. Not, I didn't love it. And I grew up going to Dodger stadium, watching, watching baseball games with my grandfather, but it wasn't a really, it wasn't a high point of my, my career, but Shea stadium, you know, I just, I guess just the idea, you know, I had been, I'd, I'd had some, I'd been playing a lot in, in in the UK, more so than I was playing in the States. And then to come back that summer and play at Shea Stadium. My God. you know, that was amazing. That's that's sensational. That's sensational. Look, I, I know
0: we've uh, we've taken up a lot of your time. Um have, I think we've have we covered all the main
2: things we need to cover, Stephen? I know <laughs> we've we made a big I,
0: list of, of I, things that we wanted to, yeah, not to I, I, I really I, quiz you I,
2: about. I, I think so. I think so. Um, yeah, all things Beatles-related. I was just, I was just fascinated by the deconstruction of that. I feel fine. I just think that is such a an ingenious kind of reimagining of the uh, of the song. You know. Um, well, thank you,
1: thank you. Yeah, I, I'm really proud of that. That that it's. Um, you can, you can really screw up a good song too. You know, you, it's, it's a fine line, especially taking, you know, a pop song or a rock song, um, into the jazz world and making it swing. It can be cheesy as hell. And, uh, I think we really walked that line. We were this close. If we'd have gone a little bit more toward the, Hey Jack, yeah. you know, <laughs> if we'd have gone toward the Jack thing, it would have been bad. What helped a lot too, on that, was that um, there's electric slide guitar on that record. Mm. And it's a jazz, it's a jazz record with jazz musicians, um, uh, really straight ahead jazz musicians. But we brought in a guy called Dave Tronzo, who is a fabulous jazz musician, but he plays electric slide guitar. No, Mm. No one plays jazz electric slide guitar um and it really took it it just took it into another world completely you know so it 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 kept it from going to the hey jack place by just having this weird kind of upside down um you know strange electric slide bebop guitar happening it was uh but but i i really appreciate your appreciation of the (laughs) arrangement i've i've always been I've always been proud of that. And I, that's one of those that if someone says, what do you do? I send them that song. It's like, this is what I do. Yeah.
0: Well, hearing you talk, it just drives home that message that in some ways the Beatles are like a a language that every musician speaks. You work in lots of different fields, um, but you know, rock, jazz, soul, pop, wherever it is, you can pull out a
1: Beatles song and people will generally roll in behind it, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's so true. I mean, it is the, the Beatles Uh, It's a it's a universal language. And uh, we've uh, we all have different, you know, some people, you know, love Rubber Soul and that's their thing. And some people it's, you know, it's Lennon, you know, mid mid 70s, not not McCartney. You know, everyone has their own that has their own uh, sort of opinion. But everyone everyone has a has a connection to the Beatles, even if they don't know it. Yeah, it's
0: it, it's kind of um, I've said this before in the podcast, you know, when I became a Beatles fan as a teen in the late 80s, I was kind of annoyed that they were gone. But now, 30 plus years later, I kind of realize actually, it's just a Beatles world that we're living in. They're still alive. They're still happening. You can still yeah. experience in them. It's very, very strange. And this this new get back just kind of re, to, for me yeah. to see people who've never thought about the Beatles before suddenly thinking about the Beatles a lot. It's it's
1: it's just a crazy. It's wild. They're, they're right? a crazy yeah, phenomenon. For it to take over. I mean, the, the number of women on Twitter who basically said they wanted to have sex with Paul McCartney in 1969 <laughs> it was just it was so and women who normally wouldn't say something like that. But it's like, oh, my God, he is so hot with the beard. Let me let me add him. You know, it's like, wow, Paul.
0: Good boy, <laughs> oh, got it. Well, well, even my own poor wife, who has put up with a, you know, being married to a to 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 a, to a beetle boar for for a number of years, even with showing get back in the background, she's been drawn in herself, going, this is fantastic, and. Uh, you know, even the, you know, she, the, the Yoko jams are, are kind of fantastic as well. It's all just brilliant, brilliant stuff. But right. uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you some other time, hopefully, once you've watched yeah, Get let's,
1: Back. <laughs> let's, let's schedule our next one for uh, post. post. Whenever you're in
2: Dublin, we'll, uh, we, we, we can catch up on Get Back. Good, <laughs> good, good. Yeah, we'll have a pint. That'd be nice.
0: Well, look, you, your new album is called This Life. It's out on February the 25th, 2022. There's a couple of... Um, you're, you know, you're reinterpreting songs that you've put out before. Is that right on There's, there's, um,
1: yes. This is the 30th anniversary of my first album, uh, 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 the my eponymously named album, Curtis Tigers. Came out in in '91 in the states and '92 in uh, everywhere else. And I've never really looked back. I've never, I've never, I never wanted to re-record any of those songs. People have said, "Oh, you do totally different versions of those now." I mean, I wonder why it sounds. The same way I take an Elvis Costello song or a Beatles song, pull it apart, put it back together. I do the same with the songs that I want to play from those those early pop records. So I wonder why you're all that matters to me. Never saw a miracle. Um, I've taken those songs. Over the years, and made them sound like my my band sounds, and um, because it was the 30th anniversary, I just felt like, all right, I'll do it. I, after all these years of my fans saying, you know, please re-record these songs that way, I did it, and yeah. and it was really fun. It really allowed me to look back at how these songs have changed. I mean, how they've evolved, both both um, musically and in my head you know the way i the way i what i think about when i sing i wonder why now um it's pretty wild it's still (laughs) it's still entirely apt to my life you know i mean this this song about being at odds with the person that you love you know i mean jesus i'm married i get that (laughs) i still get that I got it when I was 21. And boy, I get it when I'm 56. And I think, you know, that's that's why, you know, songs work is because you can you can they, they can evolve or they can become your song. I mean, you know, Let It Be is my song. It's not Paul's song anymore because it, it means a certain thing to me or, you know, um, and and I wonder why it belongs to my fans. Um, And it it's I've I've anyway, so so the new album is that it's it's older, it's songs from my previous records. Done as we do them live, as they've evolved on on stage, and then two extra songs, um, one that I two that I haven't recorded. Summertime, uh, the the Gershwin tune, which um, the arrangement comes from an arrangement I did with a band before I even had a record deal. Back when I, I was a, a teen in Boise, and it was just a, a looking back even farther or further than uh, than 1991 and 92, back into my my teen years. And then we also do a, a Leonard. Cohen song that we just happen to play a lot live and i have never gotten around to playing it but it's a look back and it's a it's it's sort of my way of doing a greatest hits without having to do a greatest hits record you know i i've uh, um and uh and we'll be out playing it playing those songs i mean that we play those songs every night and uh, so it was it was pretty easy to go in and record it because we do this we do, do this There's not, there's not been a concert that I I have not played a concert since 1991 when I did not sing. I wonder why Um, I've just sung it in a lot of
2: different ways. So we're going to hear all those songs and love by John Lennon. Yes, indeed. That's on the list. You've added to the,
1: (laughs) put that back into the list. Well done.
0: Well, look. We look forward to all of that. The album's called This Life. It's out at the end of February. Curtis, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for giving us all of your time. Hope things stay well over in Boise, Thank and you. we'll talk Beatles again, hopefully in person someday. Yes, yes. Very, very nice to talk to you, gentlemen.
1: Goo goo Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on Acast Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.